0: Welcome to Primity, where we find simple techniques to help address modern problems for our primitive bodies. My name is Andrew Pafford, and I'm a health and wellness professional with over a decade of experience helping Olympic-level athletes, desk jockeys, and seniors achieving their goals and improving their quality of life. For our episode today, we're going to talk about one hot topic that has yet to ever go out of style in the fitness industry, and that is abs. Six-pack abs have always been sought after. Doubtful has the phrase, I want a flabby stomach, ever been uttered in seriousness. Typically, when we talk about working out our abdominals, people use the phrase core. Your core is so much more than your six-pack, but we don't really give the rest of it much thought in spite of it being a critical piece of our hardware and proper functioning. In that spirit, we're going to discuss all the various ins and outs of core work. What it's really for various and likely more effective ways to train your core, and of course, how to achieve those elusive washboard abs. Our core is typically in reference to the part of the body between the upper and lower halves. Just below our ribcage, and technically the waist up, houses musculature that we don't attribute to our extremities, thus it doesn't qualify as upper body or lower body days. We usually don't think of our core as the piece doing the work, like our arms or legs. However, it is critical in just about everything we do. Around our middle section, we have four layers of muscle. Our rectus abdominis, the good old six-pack, our external obliques, internal obliques, and our transverse abdominis, or TVA. The six-pack is in charge of approximately 15 degrees of spinal flexion, our obliques help create rotation, and our TVA is predominantly used in bracing and breathing. One could also think of this as the body's natural girdle or lifting belt. Now, because we are not Paper Mario, we exist in a 3D world. So when we talk about our core, we aren't only referencing our stomach musculature. We also have to put a lid and bottom on our core as well. Our diaphragm and pelvic floor complete the ensemble. We'll discuss their importance in a moment, but just know that your stomach muscles aren't the only workers when it comes to core work. With the stage set, let's now discuss some of the core's functioning. Numero uno, we have breathing. Seeing as how the diaphragm is involved, it's impossible to say that breathing and core work are separate. A very obvious way to show the link is diaphragmatic breathing, think chest breathing, and belly breathing. While the different types of breathing serve different purposes, working different parts of your core effectively control different styles of breathing. The next is spinal stabilization every sport, stabilizing the spine is not just a means to allow power transference, but it's also critical for safety slash survival. A spinal column that's allowed to shift under load is a great way to slip a disc. Spinal stabilization is typically done through bracing. Bracing, or in medical terminology known as the Valsalva maneuver, is when we fill the, quote, belly with air then contract the abdominal muscles around it to increase interabdominal pressure. The sensation can be known to everyone because this is the pressure that you feel when you are defecating, taking a number two. You are using the Valsalva maneuver. The difference is, is that when you brace, you are not contracting your pelvic floor. So the pressure is coaxing everything out the bottom. Now with bracing, the more pressure that is trapped within the belly, the greater the force necessary must be applied to break it. The perfect metaphor is a soda can, or beverage of your choice as long as it's an aluminum can. With the can sealed, you could very likely stand on the can and nothing were to happen to it in spite of it being made of very malleable aluminum. Once opened, however, the air and fluid inside the can are allowed to escape. Trying to mount the can at that point would most likely result in it immediately collapsing underfoot. Without the pressure on the inside to help the can to hold its shape, the aluminum sides will buckle easily. This is effectively exactly how our core or trunk muscles work, and why using all of your muscles to brace is essential. Air is trying to get out any way it can, and the harder you squeeze your core muscles, the greater the interabdominal pressure becomes. If one segment is weaker than the rest, say, oh, your pelvic floor, then you can develop unfun conditions like While there are some congenital conditions that can predispose you to a hernia, trying to brace intensely while deconditioned or with a muscle asymmetry can lead to injury. While stabilizing the spine is great for power transference in sport, it can also be used to generate power, not just transfer it. In lifting, power generated from the legs is transferred through the core, down the arms, and into the weight being lifted. In other sports, however, such as any that involve throwing, the core not only transfers power, but becomes an active participant in generating more power. Because throwing or other sports like gymnastics or track and field don't involve very heavy load being placed on the body, the spine does not need to stay rigid. And in that case, it can participate by generating motion using flexion or rotation. If you watch any video of a baseball pitcher throwing the ball, You'll see them wind up with their arm behind them, standing in what we call extension. As they step forward to displace their weight, their quads, abs, chest, biceps, and forearm flexors come under stretch all at once, causing them to violently and powerfully contract, which is what allows them to throw balls over 100 miles an hour. This is known as the Serape effect. What you'll see after the ball is released is the pitcher almost doubled over from their original upright starting position. That's because of the violent contraction of the abdominal muscles to throw the torso forward to add power. This principle also applies to kicking, punching, chopping, and throwing of various types. This is the other primary function of the core. So now that we've hammered home the main uses of the core, breathing, stabilization, and power power generation, The training concept shouldn't be painfully difficult to grasp. The best way to train your core is to use it in the manner at which it was intended. This philosophy is what partly has led to the surge in functional training. As the exercises performed mimic what the body can or intends to execute while outside of the gym. Having a cable cross machine or exercise bands to emulate chopping motions, medicine balls to create load for throwing motions, All of these are various means to train the core as a unit rather than its individual parts. Why perform planks, sit ups, and windshield wipers when you can perform a chop and nail all three groups at once? The main reason people may not perform these is these are larger, multi joint motions that may not be that easy to execute without some training. If you played a throwing sport growing up as a child, you likely have some motor patterns to pull from. If you have not, however, There are many moving pieces that can lead to compensations and potentially injury. Avoiding them, however, means that you will always be walking around with a weakness in your fitness. This is precisely what I argue one reason for going to the gym. The gym is not simply to provide a challenge, but also a means to learn new movements. Having a trainer or physio help you identify your compensations and weak points is what provides the opportunity to shore up your weaknesses and improve overall fitness. Additionally, when executing new movements, you can always start with as little resistance as possible and work your way up to really nail that technique. If you're attempting chops for the first time, start light and go slow. You might realize balance is a critical factor, and you may need to perform some dry runs simply to get acquainted with the footwork. Starting light with a medicine ball toss might help you realize that you lack the shoulder range of motion to adequately perform a toss, let alone at higher weight. It's for these reasons I'm an advocate of branching out from your typical planks and sit-ups and doing something more athletic like throwing and chopping. Another way to frame this is for my more vain audience. Aren't the athletes usually the ones with good-looking abs? Well, why do you think they look so good? It's because they actually use their core, not just train it. And of course, they also train the way they use it. They may supplement their training with more isolated movements. You better believe they're also performing more athletic movements to better train for their sport too. So, quick speed round for movements that I encourage people to look into. Types of chops. High to low, low to high, half kneel, tall kneel, standing. Medicine ball tosses. Bucket toss, log toss, overhead toss, chest passes, stationary, moving, sit-up tosses. Do some internetting and get some ideas. Now that we're approaching the segment of how do I actually get abs, we'll talk a bit more physiology and one big elephant in the room that's likely the bigger culprit. While we discussed some exercise selection, we have to also remember application. Bicep curls as a movement, are just fine making your biceps bigger. However, doing 100 curls of 5-pound dumbbells is not going to make your biceps bigger. Movement selection is part of the equation. Application is where we need to think. As Paracelsus once said, the poison is in the dose. In our case, how many sets and reps you do of a movement has varying outcomes on muscle adaptation. If I pick up something extremely heavy only a couple times, my muscle strength will improve. If I pick up something very light a hundred times, my muscular endurance will improve. If I pick up something respectably heavy around ten times or so, I will gain a bit of both of endurance and strength. And this is ultimately where hypertrophy lies, or increase in muscle size. If I do a hundred sit-ups, that's not going to engage in hypertrophy. Same with holding a plank for five minutes. That's just going to help you with endurance. So if you want your abs to stand out, high rep work is likely not going to be your best friend when it comes to ab training. The secret is going to be in intensity. Just like weightlifting, intensity is what is going to cause your muscles to fatigue much faster. The heavier the weight, the greater the intensity. The faster my muscles are going to fatigue lifting it, the fewer reps I'm going to be able to do. So if I can perform a movement a hundred times, it has low intensity. Hypertrophy work is typically done in the realm of fatigue happening between 8 to 12 repetitions. Any more, and you're venturing into the endurance territory. Any less, and you're training strength. So in regards to our I want to see my abs request, you want your muscles to get bigger. So how do we make our sit-ups more intense? so that they fatigue in the 8 to 12 range. One option is exactly what our lifting friends do, add weight. Weighted setups are the most rudimentary, but effective. The other method is adding speed. Even if I weigh the same, the faster I perform movement, the more power or more force I'm having to exert to complete my task, and therefore am increasing how intense my muscles are having to engage. Think walking down the street versus sprinting. I can walk there on my own time and never raise my heart rate. If I sprint there, I'll certainly get there faster, but I'll find my heart rate and breathing elevated and legs may be a bit burning. That's because of the increase in intensity. Speed increased the intensity. Adding intensity to your core work is a way to take your six-pack training to the next level. Finally, the big elephant in the room. When I hear people say, I want a six-pack, what should I do? And I look down, and they're sporting a keg in its place. Well, the honest answer is, forget the ab exercises. You need to work on nutrition. If you're over 18% body fat or so, you're likely have too much in the way between your abs and your vanity. Further, it's now widely known that cortisol causes us to store fat at our bellies specifically. If you aren't overweight, yet you feel like you have that stubborn belly fat that won't quite go away, Another leg to the equation could very well be stress. If you're getting inadequate sleep or not engaging in any mindfulness practices, that pesky stomach fat might be an indicator that you have a hole in your health and wellness that needs addressing. Final piece to piggyback on nutrition is food quality. Eating processed foods that can upset your gut microbiome or even foods that are too raw for your body to process, like raw broccoli or raw kale, can lead to gastric stress and thus bloating. This is a big reason why so many cultures have acids to pair with their veggies, like a vinaigrette with their salad. The acid helps to break down the food so the body doesn't have to work too hard and get uncomfortable. For fear of sounding like a broken record, I'll remind you that a healthy body looks healthy. A healthy body needs exercise, nutrition, and appropriate sleep and stress management. A three-legged stool does not function very well on two legs, and neither will you without one of your pillars of health. So I entreat you, maybe instead of focusing on the abs, try focusing on improving your overall health. You might be surprised at, aside from the myriad of benefits that come with a healthier lifestyle, how a six pack is usually included as a perk. That's it for us today at Primity. We're always curious to see what you're curious about, so please send us your questions, comments, and feedback to infoprimity.org. And as always, Strength comes in many forms, from within and without. So be strong to be useful. Take care and stay strong.